Paradise Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Hopper. Today is uh, November 14th, 2021. It's a gorgeous day outside, about 72 degrees, zero humidity, which is unlikely for where I stay. And you have found the only podcast on the interwebs that does not discuss what the title talks about. So, welcome to Life in Paradise. I used to live down in Nicaragua. I owned and still do a subo charter business which is when I started this podcast. Fast forward six or so years, I've moved on, the business is still there, but I'm now running a brewery in Corpus Christi, Texas called New Oasis Brewing Company. This podcast has kind of morphed into my own personal stream of consciousness. Basically, I just talk about the things I'm interested in, the things I read about, and the things I learn about. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about every week or so to get them off my chest. And if there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. I've got an exciting podcast for you today, as usual. Bonus is that today's free. You do not have to pay for today's episode. So you can thank your sponsors for that. So sit back, relax, and let me fly the mothership for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Some people complain, but they won't leave. They tried fact-checking me. Try to cancel a G But I tell you we'll fact check these nuts I'ma do it, I'ma say it Cause I'm doing what I want Cause I'ma do it, I'ma say it I'ma let go I'ma do it, I'ma say it Cause I'm doing what I want Cause I'ma do it, I'ma say it I love my words. This is Gringo Bling. Now let's talk about freedom for a second. Right now a lot of people want to take away our freedom. Them little woke haters. But what we gonna do right now is Hola to my homies. What's up everyone? Uh, got a pretty interesting show today. Uh, I think I'm going to be able to steer clear of covid Maybe Joe Biden, but may or may not stay clear of cryptocurrency. I don't know. I've kind of been thinking about something, but I don't have it plugged into my phone. Uh, so I might hit it. I might not. You'll know at the end of this podcast. You'll have to stay tuned to find out. You know, one thing you've been hearing more and more about increasingly over the last, I don't know, five, five years maybe that I can remember is that people are paying closer and closer attention to the state of mental health. And I know that a lot of people out there think, oh, mental health is just a, it's a cop-out. It's, it's, you know, an excuse for weak-minded people. And, you know, I kind of used to think that way as well. Maybe not that extreme, but, uh, you know, I used to think that your, your mind could overcome just about anything. And I'm not saying that a certain people can, certain people can't. But I've gotten to the realization that I understand that people struggle with, uh, with, with mental health. And 
it's not anyone's position to say whether it's right or wrong or whether how they should deal with it. But more important to me is how or why. Why did this just happen over the last X amount of years? Or is it possibly that that people are feeling comfortable sharing their issues? I don't think that's what it is. I think that people are actually feeling a certain way. And so it rears its ugly head in the form of, of mental health. And, and the whole term of mental health, it, it's kind of broad. It's kind of subjective. Um, I do think that some pro- people probably use it as an excuse, but I don't automatically go there anymore. But if you look at the statistics, you can see that, quote unquote, depression has pretty much been on the incline since we started tracking it. And so I kind of developed a theory about this, and I I don't know if it's right. I'm not a mental health expert. I'm not a psychologist. I just have a lot of random thoughts, and I typically let them go down a rabbit hole. So I'm going to break down to you what I think is happening in the the state of, quote-unquote, mental health. And if you start back, I don't know, a few hundred years ago, let's just say 200 years ago. You look back at the average person, the average life. Let's just say 100, 100 years ago. What did life look like? So you had to... You had to spend your time doing things that now you don't have to. So if you wanted to drink milk, you had to go out and milk a cow. Now, obviously, in the 1920s, things were starting to change a little bit. So, you know, just around the time frame, about 100 years ago, we're talking about. So if there's certain things that you wanted, acquiring them wasn't as simple as ordering them on Amazon. So the life that we lived, we spent more time doing things in order to acquire things that we needed and less time doing things to acquire things that we wanted. So as life goes on, for lack of a better word, it just becomes more luxurious. We, we go from a wooden wheel-spoked wagon to a, a Ford truck that's got air-conditioned and heated seats, and you can use Apple CarPlay. And, and believe me, I think all of these things are good. I love how America innovates and progresses and pushes the boundaries and moves forward that is part of the, uh, the American culture, in my opinion. I wouldn't trade it for the world. But as time goes forward and, and things get easier, things in life get easier, I, I honestly think that uh, the life that we lead right now is the easiest it's ever been, even with a global pandemic. And this is also apparent, in, and you can see it in certain industries, like let's just say the, the pet industry, you know, multi, multi-billion dollar industry. And that's not because... We just love our pets more than other countries. It's because we have the money to spend on our pets. And if other countries had the same amount of money that we have, they would also, that that industry would develop. So as time goes forward, life gets easier. Things become more accessible. Things become more attainable. Um, We become more efficient. We're able to use our iPhones more to, to do more things, to stay up with work and to have food waiting when we get home. And so we're, while life is getting easier, we're adding more things, responsibilities, things that we have to manage. And, and in my opinion, those things are all, they pile up, they compound. Um, they're pressure, call it whatever you want to, but they, they weigh on you, the things that you have to do. Even if it's just go to your mailbox and check your mail, like that's a, it's a task and you have to fit it in. And so all of these things that we have to manage and keep up with add up. And we're expected to do things a certain way. And I think that technology has... While it's made our lives easier to do things, it's made it more difficult to manage things because we're managing more because technology has given us the ability to. 
And so my whole theory, the whole global theory that I have is that our, our technology is advancing faster than our little brains. I remember I read a book one time uh, called How the, I think it's called like How the Mind Works. And it goes through a bunch of examples and scenarios that, that everyone does all the time. And just, it kind of breaks them down and explains why these things happen. And one of the things was that uh, the average American, I think 100 or 125 years ago, kept up, kept up with like, I don't know, something like 150 things, right? Um, so back then, it was probably like, you know, all of your tools, um, your clothes, your guns, your horses, all the things you keep up with on a daily basis or, or, or in a given time frame was about 150 things. And now estimates are that they're around 10,000. And so if we think about things like I got to make sure I order the right soccer jersey for my kid's soccer game and I need to buy two-stroke oil for my weed eater and all these things that we know that's plugged into our brain, they're there and we just recall them as we need them. And I think certain people have the mental capacity or the ability to deal with these types of stressors or items or pressures or whatever you want to call them, and certain people don't. And I'm not knocking them. They're probably just as capable of doing other things that some people are not capable of doing. But you take that specific group of people and you continually add the pressures to them and the, the remembering of things and the knowledge and the expectations to do this and have this and get back to me and respond. And so those things are piling up on people who don't do well managing that type of environment. And, and I think, once again, it just boils down to the human's mind, our ability to adapt to what's going on around us. If you look at things like photos, all of our digital photos, we've done a really good job at, at producing cameras that take wonderful pictures and slow-mo videos, and we have all the way to capture these things, and, but we don't really have a good way to store them and organize them. And I know people are saying, yeah, but there's iPhone, yo, and there's, there's albums and all kinds of stuff you can do. Yeah, sure, there is now. We're kind of starting to head that direction, but there's going to be a big gap between about... I don't know, 2002 or 2003 to 2020, where no photos are, are really going to exist, except for people that have done an exceptional job keeping up with their digital photos or people that were still taking paper photos. You can go back and look at your iTunes history or the, look at all the phones that you've had, and you can see, oh, wow, there's tons of pictures on that phone that I, I don't have them on my current phone are they still accessible on the drive? Can I retrieve them? If I back up my phone to that old one, can I get them? See, these are things that we don't even know. We just pay for the iCloud storage. We keep our pictures there. Not really sure how to get them or what happens with them. What happens if Apple goes down? Apple burns up. I know there's redundancies. I know. I get all that. But it's a centralized system. You're relying on one company or one entity to keep track of everything. I heard a statistic the other day that talked about how many dead links a reference to the Supreme Court cases. I think it's like 304. <laughs> so in all these Supreme Court cases, where they're setting precedents of the law of the land moving forward, they reference or they cite websites. And these websites are now dead. You go there and it's like error 404. And so they didn't think about like, how can we reference something that may not be there forever? In fact, somebody owned a website that the Supreme Court referenced. And what they did to kind of be a troll or, or a prankster was they took the whole website down and they left a note up there that said, um, someone please explain to the Supreme Court that links don't last forever. And then they referenced the case number that was supposed to go there. 
But I digress, as usual. My whole point is that I think that technology and everything is moving faster than what our little brains can keep up with. And I know I've already said that. I'm repeating myself. But spend some time think about that. Tell me what you think. And who knows? Maybe that's how it's supposed to go. Maybe this is our transition over the next 50 to 75 years from the real Earth world to living in virtual land. And as scary as that sounds, I... I think it's reality. I think it's real. I think it's coming. But I'm going to touch on that in just a in, in another minute here. The moral of the story is figure out how you can operate your life or operate in a realm where you can eliminate the pressures that you despise. And I kind of have one little mantra that I I live by that helps me in this area. And that is like instead of prioritizing your money or your resources to provide you with things that you want. Allocate some or all of it into eliminating the things from your life that you don't want. So let's just say, for example, that I wanted a boat. I wanted to go out there and buy me a ski boat and I was going to finance it and I was going to put a couple thousand dollars down and pay, I don't know, seven, eight, nine hundred bucks a month, whatever a boat costs these days, because I wanted one and I thought it'd be fun to have one. But what comes along with that? A bunch of added stress, pressure, keeping up with it and maintaining it. So let's just say instead of buying that boat, maybe I choose to rent a boat three or four days out of the year, maybe, maybe even a week and a half, two weeks. I could, I could run the numbers and see what, what, how the numbers worked out. But maybe instead of buying one, you just rent one, use it for what you want, and then you spend the rest of that money eliminating the things you don't like. If you hate to go on Saturday and have your oil changed and your car washed, Find a way to get it done for you. Find someone you can pay to do it. Find someone that will come to your house and change it in your driveway. And, and maybe that's not what, what you hate, but everyone has those things that they despise. And I've just found that for my own mental health and my own well-being and my own life satisfaction level, eliminating the things that I don't like. And for me, like, for instance, cutting the grass. If I cut my own grass, I can do it in about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. If I do everything right, pristine, two hours. And what does it cost to have my yard cut? About a hundred to $125. And so while I don't get paid at work, a hundred to $125 for two hours worth of work, my time is worth that to me. So I'm willing to allocate that portion of my resources so that I can spend that two hours on Saturday doing other things that I do want to do. I feel like I'm kind of rambling now, but I hope you're getting the idea. Mental health is an issue. We add stressors to our life with technology. Reallocate your resources to eliminate the stressors from your life. Boom. Speaking of eliminating stressors from your life, I have a note in my phone called the state of the hammock. (laughs) So for anyone who knows me, knows that I spend a good chunk of my free time in a hammock. I think hammocks are good for your soul. I think they give you the opportunity to think and unwind and soak in nature, and I would much prefer to be outside in a hammock listening to something or even watching something on my phone than sitting on a couch or in bed if I'm awake or at a desk or anywhere else. So at nighttime when I'm done with all my chores and everything's finished and all my clothes are put away and all the dishes are washed and the dogs are fed and you get the idea, I go to a hammock and I hang out there until I go to bed. I don't sit on the couch. I've probably spent less than nine hours on my couch in the last two years. That's not a joke. So needless to say, I kind of take 
my hammock seriously. It needs to be comfortable. It needs to be functional. Everything needs to be working order. And I always normally had like a backup on hand. And this all started when, after I spent so much time in Nicaragua, whenever I had basically two years just to do whatever I wanted to all day. Um, and I spent quite a bit of time in a hammock. Well, the other night, one of the lines in the hammock, boom, popped. And so luckily there was like 19 other lines to hold the hammock together and it didn't, didn't like fall down or anything. But I know whenever that happens, the hammock's got to go. You need to get a new one. Otherwise, they'll all just start popping. What happens is they're, they run through a wooden bar. The strings that hold the hammock up run through a little wooden bar and there's a corner of the wooden bar that, of the hole that they go through that chafes on them and eventually the strings break. I can normally get about 12 to 18 months out of a quality hammock before it starts to show signs of be careful. So the other night, mine popped. I thought, uh-oh, I need to order a new hammock right now. I was out of backups. I usually have Juliet bring them from Nicaragua when she comes, but she has no plans to come anytime soon. The hammocks down there are phenomenal. They, everyone stays in hammocks. They hang out in hammocks. That's not like it is here where it's just like after you cut the grass on Sunday. So the quality down there is phenomenal. The pricing is phenomenal. And I just needed to find a way to get them up here. And at first I thought, I just need to order like two or three so I can keep them on hand. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe I can sell them. Because I looked around online. I ordered one from Amazon. I spent like $200 in this hammock. And it was absolute rubbish when I got it. I was dissatisfied. It was called polyester blend crap. Like, no. It needs to be 100% cotton. I can't tell you why, but it's part of the secret. So I replaced the one that broke with an old hammock that I brought out of retirement that none of the strings had broken yet, but they're getting pretty close. I'm sorting out all the details with my contact in Nicaragua. I think I'm going to order 12 or 14 hammocks starting out. I think I can sell them for about 250 bucks, which may sound like a lot, but there is no hammock on the whole interwebs that is as high quality as this hammock for this price. I looked around and I found some that were just complete garbage for like $99, $150. I wouldn't even pay $30 for them. And the ones that I'm getting are top quality. So if you want a hammock, let me know. I think $250, I could probably get you one. That's shipped, delivered, everything. Yeah, so that's the state of the hammock. Once again, something adding stress to my life. But I think I've got it sorted out, so I'll keep you posted on that. Okay, now I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I'm going to talk about the future. Exciting. I know everyone's been talking about the metaverse, and I'm actually going to touch on that here in a second. But I wanted to kind of give a vision on how I see things working in the future. I think I've talked about them on here before, but there's going to be an item called NFT, non-fungible token. They're already out. But this, this gives us a way to ensure ownership of a hard asset. What does that mean? You're talking all that financial talk. This I didn't come here to listen to MSNBC. I'm not trying to watch no Fox money. So tokenizing an asset means that you create a digital form of ownership for something that you own. The easiest example would be a vehicle. Um, you create, uh, basically just think of it as like a, a PDF file that says, this is who owns this vehicle. This is when they bought it. This is how much they paid for it. And that's not all public information. That's just your private, like a bill of sale. It's like a title to your car, but it's stored in the blockchain. If you remember the first section, I talked about how much information is getting lost on the regular internet. It's because it's not permanent. But the blockchain, however, 
is permanent and it's far more organized. So what's going to happen is that all assets will be tokenized. So let's just say that I own my truck outright. Let's just say it's worth $40,000. In the future, it'll probably be worth more than that. But let's just say that I have a tokenized truck, $40,000. I need to borrow some money, okay? I'm not willing to go sign the title over to my truck because I only need to borrow $10,000. So what if I could go to somebody and I could say, look, I need to borrow $10,000. My truck is worth $40,000. I will sell you half of my truck. Or I will loan you, I will give you the ownership to half of my truck until I pay you back. And people are thinking, well, what, what good does half a truck do? Well, you have to change your mindset into you're not holding that asset for utility. You're holding it for collateral. And so what that could mean would be that whenever the truck is sold, it could be programmed into what's called a smart contract to instantly pay you half of whatever the vehicle sold for. And obviously, you have to deal with the, the risk factor of the truck depreciating. Someone could crash the truck and total it. All these things come into, into factor. So, and so maybe you have to pledge three quarters of your truck. Maybe you have to pledge $30,000 of the truck's value in order to get a $5,000 loan because you have a high risk. You have um, the risk of crashing the truck, et cetera, et cetera. And as a buyer of a vehicle, you would want to look at the token and you would say, okay, you don't own 100% of this truck. Someone else owns 50%. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, I had some money that I'd borrowed. And when I sell it, they're going to get the 50%. I get the other 50%. And so the buyer doesn't care. As long as he pays the money and gets the truck 100%, then that's what will happen. And so that's just one example. And then you, But you don't need human interaction to do any of this stuff. When I say human interaction, you don't need any trust. Since all of this can be programmed into the blockchain and it's there permanently, things don't get dele deleted, they don't get corrupted, they just, they're there, they're staying there, and they're there forever until the world explodes or something better comes along, then you can tell the blockchains certain things to do. You can say, if this asset ever changes hands, X percentage needs to go to this guy. Or you can say, this asset was purchased on this date for this price. And that's how we'll judge taxes. That's how we'll look at it and say, well, you paid this much, you owe this much in taxes. You can also program it so that every time a vehicle trades hands, a certain percentage goes back to the state or the county. This is to ensure everyone pays their registration on time or their, their vehicle sales tax. And I think what this is going to end up doing, or what it is doing right now, is opening up an entire new world of lending and borrowing. That's called decentralized finance. And you're only going to hear this more and more. DeFi, for short. Big banks are terrified, and they should be. There's absolutely going to be no need for a big bank in the future. So to, to further expound on my futuristic theory, that's just one little piece of one thing that's going to happen in decentralized finance. I think everyone, when you're born and you're issued a social security number, you'll also be given a, a public address. And that public address is simply um, a location on the blockchain that's your permanent spot where everything that you own moving forward will be located. And businesses will be a little bit different. Uh, businesses will be run through what's called a DAO, a DAO, a Decentralized Autonomous Organization. I'm not going to touch on that yet. We're talking about personal assets right now. So you have your public address, and that's where anyone who needs to send you anything will send it to you. And this is your unique address. And, and 
don't think of it as like a physical address. It's just a, it's a string of like a bunch of numbers and letters. And if I want to send you money, that's where I'll send it. If you buy a house, that's where the token will be stored. If you buy a car, that's where it will be stored. An IOU, any of your debt, all that will be in one place. Some of it will be, you know, viewable to the public. Some of it will probably be viewable to people that you provide a code to. And some of it you could probably keep as private as you want. Now, you can also do things like put your will into this smart contract. So you don't need probate and all these attorneys and all this, these expenses and time that goes with someone's passing. And so you'll be able to say, if I die, I want these assets to go here, this to go there, and everything will be on record. It'll be all mappable. Any of the appropriate taxes will be taken out, and the, the whole thing will be done. You can even fractionalize um, you know, your assets however you want to. You can leave half your car to this person, half your car to this person. There's no need to worry about one person buying the other person out. They just sell the vehicle if they want to, and the money automatically goes to both people. To me, this sounds like a life-changing experience. This is only just the tip. This is just a little bitty baby tip. You'll also, and this is kind of, this is kind of refreshing and kind of scary at the same time, you will also have the ability to be rated. So you will have smart contracts that are given a set of parameters, a bunch of if-then statements. Some of them will require your participation or, or your, your action. You know, how fast do you pay off a loan? Do you pay more than what's expected? And so your address, your public address, a rating will be assigned to that. And this rate, you will probably get like a social credit score or um, a, a general financial responsibility score, maybe even a work performance score. And so all of this will be public information or maybe it's only available to people that you allow to see it, but we have a big system that rates organizations right now, but there's no system that rates people. And that's because the anonymity of the internet is easy to hide behind a username. You can go create a fake profile. And so having the ability to, to be pegged with your actions your whole life, I feel like will have a good impact on society. I do realize that it takes away the ability for people to be anonymous, but sometimes being anonymous just causes trouble. But I don't like how it encroaches your privacy. That's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I kind of go back and forth. I see it changing the future. I think it will make our lives better. I think it will allow us to, to access more capital. I think it will give us the ability to do more of the things that we want. I think it'll give us the ability to customize our lives. But the drawback from that is we got to give up some privacy. Here's another example. Let's say you have a lawnmower, and I want to buy your lawnmower from you. Right now, there's no way to prove whether or not that lawnmower is stolen. Well, I mean, there is, but you got to hope that everything's been reported. you got to hope there's a, a serial number on it, et cetera, et cetera. In the future, I will look up the lawnmower on the blockchain. I'll see whatever, maybe how many hours it has, what year you bought it. And when you sell it to me, the asset just gets transferred to my, my wallet. So let's say I find a lawnmower. I go, I buy it from the guy. It, you know, we both open up our phones. There's probably going to be something in there that says, you know, enter contract, find the person. You hit, you know, yes, you would like to enter a contract with this person. The sale of the lawnmower, you know, enter the amount of the sale. Uh, are you sure you want to complete this contract? You click yes, scan your face. Yes, he does the same thing. Uh, all the escrow happens automatically. 
and then the money hits his account, and the token goes to your account, all at the exact same time. There's no questioning about who owns anything. I like it. I really like that idea. I don't, I don't need anonymity to help me do bad stuff. I just want privacy because I feel like I have a right to it. So that's the first part of the future. Here's another part of the future. The metaverse. I know everyone's heard about this. I know you've seen the, probably a portion of the hour-long Zuckerberg's video about how he's going to take over the world. But we can't deny that it's probably coming. I don't really know how to envision it because it's probably a little bit too far into the future. But if you even go back and look at that life 100 years ago compared to life now, we probably wouldn't have been able to predict the iPhone. You know, there becomes a certain point in time at which you're too far away. Too many of the missing pieces of the, of the technology puzzle haven't been put in place yet. So obviously, it would be almost impossible to dream of the iPhone before electricity was invented. But now as we see that things are starting to take shape, you know, defining the metaverse is becoming more and more real. And we're probably going to miss some of the little details here and there. But I think the gist of it is going to be that you're going to put on these goggles or in the future beyond that, you'll put in some contact lenses and you'll just close your eyes and then you're there. And you'll have the ability to walk around these little towns and go into the gambling hole and go over here and watch a movie or go watch YouTube and, and do all the things that you do on your iPhone, just a highly more interactive experience. You'll be able to play games and compete against friends and you know, sit, sit in a room and watch YouTube videos with friends. That's something that's, that's impossible to do unless you're actually in the same room with people. And so the metaverse is just going to bring the world a little bit closer together, or well, a lot closer together, actually, and it's going to put everyone into this, this virtual cartoon land. And it's hard to put timelines on these things, but I think the metaverse or the, the idea of the metaverse that might be called something else will be a huge part of our life within about 10 to 15 years. I think one of the first things that you'll see is people getting married in the metaverse. And this is kind of a cool thing because there, there's lots of reasons why people don't go to weddings. It's too far. They can't afford it. It's too much of a hassle. They don't want to be gone for an entire weekend. And so you could have your wedding in a metaverse. All your friends can be there. You can have the ceremony. You can have the reception. You can do all the silly little traditions that, that we've been doing. No one really knows why. All at a fraction of the cost. And sure, that does not sound appealing to me right now. Not even a little bit. If I'm going to go to a wedding, I want to hear the DJ and live real-time music. I want to taste the food. I want to see the, the uh, ceremony. I mean, and if I'll be honest, I really don't. I don't like weddings all that much. I don't, I don't really care about weddings. But if I was going to go to a wedding right now, I'd rather go in person. Now, I don't like how much time it wastes on a Saturday, but that's beyond the point. The point is, one day people will get married in the metaverse. I think it'd probably be one of the first things that, that start happening there. Well, you can't just get married in an area of, of pitch black darkness. You need to be in some sort of room. Well, the room has to be designed. Someone's got to draw the graphics. Someone's got to put the wallpaper. Someone's got to pick out what kind of tablecloth you're going to be sitting at when you pretend like you're eating or what, whatever happens, the surroundings have to be drawn. And so as we start out, there's going to be a high demand for that. And people will be paying for things like, you know, metaverse wallpaper and, you know, customized clothes to wear on your body in the metaverse. Or, you know, uh, you want your, 
your body to be looked a certain way. You want someone to draw it. Well, you don't know how to do it, so you, someone's got to do it for you. And that's how the money's going to move to the metaverse to, for people to pay for those things. Until, fast forward beyond that, eventually there will be so much information out there and so much design in the metaverse that it will be free, just like information is with the internet. And I had this realization the other night, and it all kind of started to hit me. Like, all the things that are new and exciting and innovating about the metaverse will one day be old and antiquated, and they'll be free. And so all the things that we can't even picture now, the things that we, we can't really fathom, those will be all free one day. And I don't know, that, that whole thing was kind of crazy to me. Just the, the light bulb went off, and I realized how many positions are going to be needed in, in this metaverse. And it, it's not going to happen fast. So as people start going to college or start going to secondary school, there's going to be a need for more design people. And so people will start filling that niche. But you can kind of see where I'm getting at, I hope, anyway. I know some of you probably think, dude, he's like so up on technology and he must just, he just understands all this stuff and has the latest and greatest gadgets. No, <laughs> no, no, no. That is not the case. I don't understand how these things work. I'm not very good at using them. I just see a need <laughs> that they're filling. That's it. Here's my example. I have Instagram. I'm a serial scroller. I don't really post much. But I, I see these things called reels. <laughs> I've been seeing them for, I guess, a year or two years now. And I just like these little funny video clips with sound behind them. And I think this kind of started with TikTok. I don't know. I don't have TikTok. But what really, really got me the other day was when I realized that there's this new, this new form of humor and it's, you know, I've talked about meme humor before and how that's kind of, you know, popped up within the last five years. But then there was this other sort of humor that we've never had before. And so this, so to all you non-boomers, you can fast forward. This is what I'm about to say is kind of geared towards the boomers who don't really know much about the Instagrams. And I put myself in that category, even though I'm not a boomer, just because I don't know that much about the Instagrams. So within Instagram, there are these things called reels. And what they allow you to do is video someone that's playing a song aloud from your phone. And so you are, you're videoing someone without sound. It's not picking up any of the audio, but it's picking up the video. At the same time, it's playing audio for them to hear. And so there's become this, this subculture of humor that gets people's reaction on video uh, synchronized perfectly simultaneously with the audio that's coming out. And so, for instance, there's one, you know, you just kind of hold your phone up and look like you're, you're doing something to it, but then it starts, it, it sounds like it's on speakerphone and you're calling to check your bank balance. And it's like a robot talking and it says, your current account balance is $12,618,224.18. And so if, if you don't have that kind of money in your checking account and people around you know it, your friends, your family, your wife, husband, whatever, it's very, very funny to get their reaction on video as soon as they hear that. And so there's these hilarious reels going around of that particular clip or that, that sound bite. And it's funny to see people's reactions. They just look up with these huge eyes. And I don't know. There's also another one 
that's been pretty, pretty funny to me. And this is a little bit more adult-centric. So if you're cheering, you just tune out or close your ears for a minute. And so these people write songs, like funny songs. And they're, they're kind of like, could be a little bit vulgar, but you wouldn't play it like in public. You would play it, I don't know, maybe if you're young enough, you would. But I would play it like to a spouse and get the reaction. And so this is one that I think is hilarious because every guy that you know, that I know, would, would find his wife or girlfriend's or significant other's reaction to this song that I'm about to play hilarious. No matter what her reaction is, it's going to be funny. So here, here, just listen to the song. You're about to burn some calories on my dick. So imagine you're filming someone hearing the song. Well, you gotta get the idea. It goes through the same thing a couple times, but I don't know. There's something about that that just made me die laughing because it's something we've never been able to do before. You know, and um, I don't know. I just think it's funny. I think people's genuine reactions to things is so much more funnier than scripted humor. And I kind of get made fun of by like my friends that like, oh, you don't like this movie? You don't like that movie? And I just don't like scripted humor. I just, it's hard for me to find it funny. It, like Borat was one of my favorite comedies of all time. And even though it was kind of set up the first time you saw it, you're not sure it could be real. So in my opinion, like the closest thing to real life comedy is what I find funny. And this is some stand-up guys. Once again, stand-up is, is scripted. So, you know, some of, some of them I find funny. Some of them I can't stand. Some of them I think are ridiculous. But seeing real life people's genuine reactions to things on video for the first time is awesome. Like that's, in my opinion, that is a huge step in the direction of humor. You know, if you look back over history, humor changes. I mean, the things that they thought were funny in the 1950s, I mean, a six-year-old wouldn't even laugh at now. And you find the same thing in other countries. You know, living in Latin America, they, their humor is like a child. Like, there's no, there's no subtlety. There's no nuance. There's no... I don't really know how to explain it. But they would laugh at a joke that children would tell each other. And... I don't know, like, like American children. I'm not saying anything about it, anyone, other than their sense of humor is entirely different, and it's very more, it's, it's much more immature. I guess that's the best way to put it. Who knows? I mean, I like it, but it's different. It's just different. All whitey, all whitey. I think that's going to wrap up today's program. I've got to leave here in a few minutes and go to a nine-course beef dinner that we're hosting at the brewery for a fundraiser which I kind of have mixed feelings about. The idea of being jam-packed full of beef on a Sunday night isn't all that exciting, but I know the food's going to be phenomenal. We've got like 15 or 20 different chefs there. It's going to be cool. So that's where I'm headed this afternoon. I hope you're having a good Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I just realized you probably won't be listening to this on Sunday, so I just hope you're having a great day. Life in Paradise podcast, keep it trinky low. I'm creeping low in a flip-flop truck. Top stang, leaning to the left, go Dayton's on the thing. I'm the MJG, pimp tight, put it to the flow, five O swing a right in the peanut butter guts. 
this a must. Drop it in the shop, take them out, wrap them up. In a tent, clear coast to make it shine. Make me circle through the neighborhood 55 times with my gas tank full. Drink a bull, fall up in the park after dog try to pull me a young stout woman. Some pretty, nice round hips with them well shaped titties as the sun goes down. I'm getting dirty, fall up and pressure work, get cleaned in a hurry in my 7 7 Chevy. Ass tight, pull off cutting rubber, disappeared in the night in the. Some Kool-Aid in my favorite cup Comb my hair, get my grill right so I can feel tight Heavy starch in my jeans and a fresh pair of nights As I strike out the door to my superb Parked by the curb, candy-coated bird The sun got my candy looking good enough to eat You can tell by the way the girls act across the street Hit the horn, but no stalling, keep bowling Four o'clock Sunday, I gotta hit the mowling Falling, full of them green trees Hurry up so I can catch Martin Luther King Fools all in the way with that Econo spray Need to take a few classes, learn about molasses Pressure got me beamed, I'm talking on the phone Telling Penny that's the way to do it, baby, represent your home Summertime, it got the whole block blind. Some buster in a prime down, pendo popping gang. Line saying he gon' go and get the same thing if you ain't riding wood and level. Your ride ain't hitting. A plane dashboard crushed feather got you itching. 99, 95, 30 day paint jobs. Got niggas riding around looking like a junkyard. You need to put a check with a check with a check. Stack up on your grip, get your shit spray wet. See most of these new paint jobs, they'll do. But if it ain't canon and the job ain't true, it's reserved for them ballers who make that cheese. It ain't candy if it didn't cost a couple of G's On your Jeep, your truck, your Chevy or your Lexus Fifth wheel and the grill like them players do in Texas My folks getting sideways in Vallejo Ballers in Memphis slamming shouted Cadillac dough Full of ink so blinked I could fly to a world Where you have to roll candy or you die Descending, my mind goes back into reality To some, having candy paint is just a fantasy Custom leather everywhere you look is wood grain Big ball telling you it's all about the candy, man 